Hello, everyone. Tim K here, host of the Veterans Project Podcast. I know it's been a while since we put out a podcast, but it was important enough to me to maintain and keep Major Caper's two-part podcast up uh, as, a, as a show of respect to the man's story, his life legacy, and essay while it was going on uh, throughout the duration of that project. But here we are, back again, ready to get after it with our next guest, who is a man that embodies the mantra that his company puts forth, be legendary. As we've said in the past, the scope of the podcast is not exactly parallel with that of the project itself because we really wanted to add in the vernacular that patriots serve on the home front as well, and that's the truth, number one. But number two, we are seeking to do this through the spoken word version of this work um, in bringing more of the community on board. Bertzorn is an industry titan in the field of strength, but more than that, he's a leader, a father, a husband, and a wonderful friend to our community of veterans. He's truly a man that puts his money where his mouth is when it comes to making a significant impact. And I'd like to personally submit thanks to him for his sponsorship of our work. Over the past week, I had the great privilege of once again attending an event put on by his company, Sornex, uh, both me and my president, Blake. A couple years ago, we attended Summer Strong, and this time, Winter Strong. I don't think I could possibly overstate the weight of Winter Strong in saying that the weekend was life-changing in many ways. It not only afforded us the opportunity of covering our friend Medal of Honor recipient Kyle Carpenter, but it also gave us the opportunity to reset in a space of true relationship and camaraderie. Bert, we truly are grateful for your heart for not only the veteran space, but the Patriot community as well. Rather than get into the details of Winter Strong, I'd describe it as two full days of hearts aligning in an offering of constant education, encouragement, and perseverance. I've already said plenty, though. Here he is with an education on what it truly means to be legendary. Bert Soren. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay. I'll be your host as always. Today we've got a guy who's pretty special to the project for me, uh, Bert Soren here from Sornex. Bert, so great to have you here. Hey, man. Thanks for thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate yeah, everything you guys are doing, Tim. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I, I want to make the point to people that uh, Sornex was a big sponsor for us. We did a story on friend of Bert's, Brady yeah. Cervantes. Yeah. He's all right. <laughs> he's, a good, he's a good dude. Yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah, yeah. But we did a story on Brady. His family. Great guy, incredible story. Probably one of my favorite photography projects. Just, yeah, I mean, he's a beautiful them. dude. Well, that 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 does help. That helps. Yeah, that, that, that helps. He's hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, having uh, the rodeo stuff, and I mean, it's just he's just such a well-rounded guy. Yeah, you know? he uh, is. Yeah, but that's what you guys are all about here. You know, be legendary. Sornex, the brand. You know. Uh, yeah, man. It's more more than just. You know, it's more than a brand. It's, it's a more movement. than just strength strength equipment. That's that's 
depends on what what the stuff shows up on the sales orders but the, the idea is much larger that's what we push for it to be anyway that's awesome yeah i want to get a little bit to that so bird obviously you've had a uh, very well versus life like you there's a <laughs> lot <laughs> there's a lot you've done rather than you know the and the company is movement and the idea of be legendary mm-hmm. what where did that whole thing come from? Where did that really? Well, it's really just been kind of something that pops has, you know, my father, Richard Soren, who started the company. Um, it wasn't in so many words. Uh, well, strangely enough, in 1999, he coined the term live strong that we know. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So that was, <laughs> that was on our shirts in 99, my senior year in college. And uh, actually, we sent some of the shirts out. Just, you know, of course, we sold them, and different people would buy them. And actually, the guy who trained Lance Armstrong was got one of our shirts, and then that kind of wow. <laughs> turned into that. Yeah. So that was what Dad always said. I didn't he was know like, that. "Yeah, kind of strange, right?" Yeah. Uh, that was what Dad was always like. You know, it's not about just being strong; it's about living strong. It's about you know every thread of what you're doing has to be done with strength, and that doesn't mean physical strength. That means, you know doing the hard stuff, doing it, you know, holding tight as long as possible, doing, doing those, those type things. And so it's just, it's that strenuous life. And that's why you've seen kind of some of our messaging over the years is, you know, first it was built to last and then it was, you know, where strength begins and then it was live strong. And then, you know, four years later or so when Lance started using that, well, kind of, you know, all the, all the people knew us to hit us up and be like, dude, Lance took your thing. I'm like, no, nah, man. And well, at that point too, pops was a cancer survivor. So it was like, man, good for him. Like yeah. right on, we'll, we'll donate some money too. glad he was able to blow it up. And then, you know, it's just kind of, you know, gone into the be legendary phase and, you know, and, and, you know, now we're doing some of the, you know, strenuous life for me. So it's always has that same idea of do the hard stuff, do and the be legendary kind of ideas, do things that are relevant outside of your, of the five feet of where you're sitting, yeah. you know, do stuff that, that impacts people across the town across the state across the country across the world that's a certainly like a think globally act locally kind of deal but your actions have to have you know or don't have to have but you you would hope they would have ripples that would go across hopefully your industry and your immediate people but transcend and that's where i see real successes if you're able to transcend your love or your passion into different circles of people yeah and so that's the kind of the idea of being legendary is is being as far above what is the specific, what is considered average or what is considered to be expected. Um, I've never gotten excited about doing what people expect us to do. It's always try to reach your potential and try to surprise people. You know, I can always kind of consider myself the apple cart guy when I was a thrower and that, that just meant like whatever, like we said, you know, break up the apple cart. Like when you, when you go to compete, you know, if, if everyone thinks, cause I'm ranked eighth coming in the competition, nothing was, nothing was acceptable, like fifth or below, because I wanted to break up the apple cart and, and overperform. That mm-hmm. was always a thing. Like if I'm expected to do this, the goal is always to do more than that. It's not to meet expectations it's to exceed expectations every time. And then of course the, the pool keeps getting smaller and smaller than ranked fifth going in well i'm getting top three yeah you know, if i'm top three well, i'm going to pull the upset win and yeah. that was just kind of always the idea and it wasn't you know it, it became a chip on my shoulder and something that i utilized it's kind of nice to get picked last <laughs> right it, because, you, know, you strike whether, me as somebody that would like that yeah yeah a no, little bit I of chip like on the shoulder a <laughs> <laughs> i like it a lot uh and thankfully early in life i was picked last a lot i wasn't athletic i wasn't 
uh, sports guy. That surprises se. me. Yeah, weird. I was uh, one of my best friends when I was a kid. I remember him telling me one day, he was like, you're the least athletic person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Like literally, and I was just like, I mean, as a little kid, I'm like, wow, like he knows, like there's like, he's seen all the people and I'm the worst person ever. Cause you're That's a little so kid, you don't, you don't know. And, and well, I guess because, you know, I would guess I was the, the kid in the neighborhood that wasn't good at sports because all the other, you know, kids were playing basketball, baseball, football with their dads. And my dad was taking me out in the woods and, you know, do all hunting, fishing, stuff like that and shooting and, you know, survival skills. And, you know, I was you know, lifting some weights. And so I, w I wasn't great at throwing a spiral or yeah. tennis or whatever the heck it was like, I don't know. These things were kind of foreign. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting later in my career that that chip, like that whole, you're the worst athlete I've ever seen would like <laughs> go through my mind. I'm like, screw that. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to be the best athlete you've ever met yeah. and to figure out how to do that. Now, he had certainly met better athletes, but in my mind, it was <laughs> in my mind, it was like, I'm going to prove everyone wrong and break up the apple cart. And that was where I derived a lot of my joy. That's kind of the be legendary thing. Make, make, make people notice and make yourself notice what you could, what you accomplish. And it's almost sweeter if people don't expect it. Right. Yeah. I, I, I kind of dealt with a little bit of that underdog syndrome as a kid. Uh, you know, I was not super coordinator not super athletic. Oh, yeah. My dad just raised me, um, from a very young age. I would be throwing baseballs out in the yard until the sun would go down until I couldn't oh, wow. see, you know, totally different experience yeah. for me. Very, yeah. But I, I was just, I was, I was dedicated to it mm -hmm. despite not being that great at it. Mm. And that turned into, you know, a pretty decent college career you sure. know, where I was playing past guys who were way more athletic than me. You know, yeah. you get into high just school, the work. those guys wash out and then they're tired of it because they're, they've played for mm -hmm. all year round when my dad's saying there are more important things in sports. Like, you know, you got to take care of your school and dedicating mm -hmm. my life to more important, you know, the spiritual things to my dad sure. as a pastor. And oh, that's so awesome. There's just a lot more to dedicate my life to, you know, in those formative years. Mm -hmm. And then when I get older, I'm a little less burned out. My arm's still got some rubber in it, you know. I, yeah, people really overlook that ability. And I think that was yeah. a, that was a, um, that was a, a secret to my success as well because I did so few sports growing up. Yeah. By the time I got to college, like, I had the exuberance of a, of a little leaguer. Yeah. I was super excited to go to practice. And, you know, everyone else is like, oh, we got to train today. I'm like, we get to train today. This is awesome. I was like, you know, yeah. like that annoying guy, you know, there's like, we're going to do it. Let's get there early. And everyone's like, Bert, shut up. Yeah. yeah. We hate our life. Right yeah. Now. This is the worst. I'm like, let this us is be miserable. Amazing. We get to throw a ball and we, they let us go to school. If it lands far away from our feet, <laughs> you know, yeah, oh. that's funny. So where did where did that ethic, you know, come from? Your father's obviously very important to your life. Yeah. Like, what did your dad teach you as a cuz obviously that be legendary was not just a moniker. Like yeah. it meant more to him. It was part of his life. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, we're he and I are both only children, which I think carries with it, you know, some bad thoughts behind it. These people like, "Oh, well, you know, x y and z." I'm Personal, oh yeah, there's whatever. definitely stigma there. There's definitely yeah. stigmas, but then there's also some things you, you almost kind of see it in some ways, just like you against the world, mm -hmm. and you're kind of in control of your own. You're in control of your own narrative in some ways. So, you, you know, both of he and I grew up watching a lot of movies and stuff like that, and so you know what you're putting into your head 
is, you know, some of my favorite movies were like the Red Dawns and the Uncommon Valors and the Rockies and stuff like that. But I had no big brother or anyone like that to tell me that that was idiotic. And Pops, the same thing. Like, he was like, man, I grew up watching like African Queen and and Moby Dick and like all this other stuff. And so his his idea of like the epic story and going after something amazing was just, oh, this is what you do when you're an adult. And didn't have anyone telling him not to. And so strangely enough, like Hollywood kind of helped both of us in that way because we were stupid enough to believe it was real. <laughs> you know? And so uh, and so you get this like hard drive burn in early in life that you're like, hey, everything is possible if you work really hard. Uh, surprising and overcoming the odds and being the underdog is possible and, you know, and even probable in some ways because this is how this is supposed to work. Right. And so that was kind of one of those things. And so as he was raising me, it was always about like do the hard thing, stand your ground. And he, and he would put me in situations like my mom would go like, Hey, this is a bit above his pay grade, like above, <laughs> above his, like, you know, That's uh, a mom's job though. Oh, yeah. totally. I mean, but you know, I mean like hunting wild boars with like, I mean, literally I was 10 years old with a 458 wind mag hunting wild boars oh, and dear Lord. yeah. And look back, I'm like, <laughs> I have an eight year old. There's no way he's anywhere in the neighborhood of about to do that, you know? And that, that was like, no, he'll be fine. And I just believe like, okay, so I'm supposed to do this. This is like, you know, I shot my first bear when I was 12, I was 20 miles wow. back in the woods in Maine by myself, given an elephant rifle. And he was like, yeah, you know what to do. And I'm like, all right, later. Oh and I look back God. and I'm just like, holy cow. But that belief that he always had in me and basically always put those things ahead of me, you know, like I remember as a kid, we had like a climbing deer stand and I was afraid of heights and he would put it, when I go over to his house, it would be set up on a tree and there would be a little tack with a flag and I would have to see if I could get it higher than the week before. And so I had to keep striving to get higher, literally higher and higher than I've been before to get over my fears. Wow. And you know, I, you know, I remember sitting there just trembling with fear and you like, you look straight up above and that little flag is right out of arm's reach and you look down and you're off the ground and you're like, Oh my gosh. And you're like, but I can't be worse than I was last week. Yeah. I have to get better. Yeah. So I have to get over my fear. I have to get better. I have to make dad excited that, you know, I was a man and I stood up and I did something hard. Mm -hmm. And so some of those just little things like that, that he was always kind of putting in my, in my way, almost like these little teaching moments that I, I have to eternally thank him for, because that just kind of built that, that early on that like, okay, you're, you're going to do stuff. It's going to be hard. It's designed to be hard, but you're always going to get better because of it. And then to this day, like, you know, if I see one of my, one of my kids crying over some like discipline thing we're doing with them, you know, they yeah. do something bad, we discipline them, and then they cry and somebody, people are like, Oh my, doesn't that hurt you? And I was like, no, it actually makes me happy. Yeah. I see that my seven-year-old son at the time, whatever I see, He's going through a heavy set of squats right now. Mm. That's what I see it as. He's doing the hard work right now that is super painful, that's going to pay off later in life. And every tear he sheds right now is a tear later that he won't have to shed. Mm. And do it now. Cry yeah. it out. Do whatever you got to do. Get mad. Do whatever. And that's fine because that's one step closer to we are to get you where you need to be. Yeah. And I think sometimes parents are afraid to put their kids into situations that are deemed you know, not fun or whatever they may be. That ain't my job as a parent to yeah. let my kid have fun. Yeah. Like my job is to make them where the, the world is going to respect and, and appreciate them and love them and find them valuable when they're, you know, in their 20s, 30s, 40s and stuff like that. So yeah. that's where I have to really thank my parents for, for putting that in there. And uh, especially dad for just really 
putting me in situations that I really wasn't ready for. Yeah. But when you believe you're ready for them, you probably step up. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my father saying to me very young, like, Hey, you know, I'm not your buddy. Yeah. I'm going to have to teach you things. And I remember like, I tell yeah, people, especially like, as a pastor, those are biblical principles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I grew up with this idea. Like my dad kind of scared me a little bit. Like he was tough. Oh, absolutely. You know? like, Good dads do. Yeah. Right? He was, he was tough and he was very much a disciplinarian in my family. And yes. I remember my mom would call him and I'd be like, Oh man, the rest of my day is going to be wrecked. Like when dad gets home. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. You're that diesel engine coming around the corner. Oh, and like, the worst was knowing that you, he got Then you're like, Oh, it's eight hours until I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom is not going to mm-hmm. forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she never does. Sure. <laughs> but what, what we're not to cut you off, but what that teaches right away, is basically it's it's teaching men to respect females as well because yes. now your dad empowered your mom to pull the trigger on a discipline and then there was a way that you probably subconsciously were like i don't want to disrespect mom or do something because not only is she going to do but dad's going to back her play oh, yeah yeah and, and that's those little things that you just Yes, great parents do. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and nowadays, I mean, what you just, to to move off of what you just said, nowadays, like, these times when I hear about, like, guys hitting women cool. or, like, pushing them or dealing with them in a way like that, it's just, it absolutely blows my mind because it's never even been a thought plan. Like, I wasn't allowed to put a hand on my sisters. Right. Like, if I put a, like, I hear, I have some friends who, you know, mm-hmm. who, like, they hit their sisters or whatever. They right. pushed them, you know. Sure. No, not my house. All right, all right, my dad sure. was like, you want a quick death? Yeah. Hit yeah, your sister. Exactly. And that, and it was a principle I had to learn restraint. Like, even my sister yes. was hitting me, I had to learn how to, you know, hold her or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. not do anything physically aggressive towards her. But it's like those, those principles, man. I mean, nowadays. And because by doing that, you were showing grace to her, really. You were showing you are stronger. You could restrain her, but you're not going to go so far as to hurt her. Right. You could defend yourself without hurting someone. Yes, exactly. And that's that's huge. Like, I, I think like I play, I do a lot of heavy horse play with my, especially my older son, eight-year-old. Yeah. That's important. It's, it's huge. But what it teaches him is that I could go, he could go real, real hard, as hard as he wants, and I could go hard, and he knows I'm stronger. He knows I'm whatever but I never hurt him. Yeah. But I get him right to the point where he knows that like I could totally crush him, but I never do. <laughs> yeah. But just subconsciously he learns that you don't always have to flex on someone and to, to, to establish dominance. Mm-hmm. And what I find him playing with his, his little brother, he'll do all this crazy stuff and he'll literally go to throw him down and he'll just gently put him down on the ground and protect his head. And it, like, I never taught him to do that. And I watch him like, wow, you, you're doing all the work, but you're just making sure you don't hurt anyone. I was like, wow. that's awesome. And you're getting it. You're getting your bigger and stronger and more powerful than your brother. But you don't have to, you know, hurt him to show him. That. Right. That's so it's powerful. Really, it's really neat. Like, and that's, I read that years ago how important horseplay was. And I'm yeah. 100% agree with yeah, it. Yeah. I've heard a lot of very, you know, a lot of well-versed guys I respect, especially my dad. He was always big on horseplay with me, you know. Yeah. And that was just like something growing up, like he wrestled. Uh, there, I, th- I think there's a certain level of violence that young men need to access where they need to realize that it's a very real possibility, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I, that helped me so much in my army career, man. Oh like, yeah. I'm going in and guys are getting brawls in the barracks and it's like, I, I don't want to because I'm not sure. a contentious guy, but yeah. I understand how to handle myself. Right. Like, and you're not afraid of physical contact. Right. I think that's a big thing too, is, is teaching people appropriate physical contact non-sexual appropriate physical (laughs) contact i mean seriously because you look at it and go there's a lot of people that have not had effect like real physical contact which brings dopamine and oxytocin and all these great hormones 
except in a sexual experience. And unfortunately, sometimes it, it's a, it's a, a bad experience. Right. Um, and then you have people that are, don't mm. want to be touched, don't want, and they don't know how to connect with one mm. another where, you know, to walk up to another dude, put your arm around his shoulder and like, Hey man, and you want, you know, I do it sometimes just to like, it freaks people out. They're not used to some <laughs> one being close. Yeah. They're like, what, what's the world? Like, Hey man, like, Hey, can I not show affection towards yeah. you because you're my guy? Yeah. And like, that is weird. That is strange how that works. I'll do it sometimes you know? just to, just to oh, see. I made guys in my unit super nervous. Oh, yeah. And I always yeah. thought it was so funny. I think there's been a weird malformation of our society in a lot yes. of ways. And that's treated like, uh, you know, things that are normally, and they're actually pretty masculine, just loving human things into a totally feminine thing. Or yeah. you call it feminine. Like, yeah. you think about the, uh, the Renaissance age and like, you know, and men like the founding fathers, like... Yep. They did a lot of things nowadays that you would guys would say were effeminate or right. gay or, you know, just yeah. any one of those things. But those dudes were some of the toughest, hardest men. Dude, you the founding meet. fathers, like especially with what's going on politically, not trying to make this political, but what's going on right now in the world. You look at what those guys had to go through and the insurmountable odds that they had to do to bring this country to fruition. How did those guys walk with balls that day? <laughs> What in the world? Like, need some big wheelbarrows, and they didn't have them back then. Yeah, man. Like, you you look at some of the stuff that people have to stand up against now. It's like, okay, that's that, that's some tough stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah, you had to like stand up against like the biggest military on earth. Yeah, with nothing. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, with like the smallest chance of success, and yeah. you still put it out there. Well, it's interesting and, uh, to me that you're making that point because even in my interviews, it's like when I, you know, my guys are asking me, do you ever get nervous when you cover like one of these high profile guys? Of course, back in the day, now that I've done a lot more of it, I'm pretty, I've gotten very experienced with it. But guys used to ask me like, you know, do you, do you get nervous with those? I'm like, no, because when I'm with the World War II in Vietnam oh. guys, like that's when I get nervous. Like oh, the yeah. World War II guys, like sitting in a room with them. I mean, you're talking about like a whole different level of human, like someone yes. who has gone through things that you can't possibly imagine. I mean, from an early age, Great Depression, standing sure. in bread lines, like 100%. not having a car. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah, yeah. My everything. grandfather told me about they would get the burlap sacks from then they would get from the crops and they'd boil them. So they it softened the. Uh, soften like that linen and basically it push out all the every kind of bleach them out and mm -hmm. then they would make clothes out of them I'm like you're you're making your clothes out of burlap sacks and stuff like that like in rural georgia back in the day <laughs> and then you know you know he said he was he was talking before he passed away i was asking about the war and he was like yeah you know i read about the battle of the bulge and he's like, and then, the, you know, I read about it as a civilian and he goes, and then a few months later, he goes, I was in the same area strapped to the side of a Jeep with shrapnel in me and oh they, they were going to leave him behind. They didn't have room in the Jeep to take him off the battlefield. And they just literally strapped him to the side of the Jeep, like a piece of wood. This is your grandpa, my granddad. Wow. Yeah. Man. And you're just like, okay, you're like 18 years old, man. Like going from reading about this thing to. And you didn't have the social media, had the, the 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 TV and all this other. So you read about this like propaganda thing, and then you're running off over there and getting the shit blown out of you. And yeah, and then it's you know, hey, I thought this was gonna be kind of a neat thing for freedom, and all of a sudden I got shrapnel on my neck and I'm strapped to the side of a jeep. So so you, you know, there's a million different ways we could go with this podcast, but I really love that you just mentioned your grandpa. Is that where your respect for veterans came from or was that ingrained in you do you remember a moment where you really felt that or 
I guess it boils down not only to, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I hate to say it, like I'm a child of the 80s. I'm a, tri- I'm a child of of pro-America, pro-freedom, and, and unabashedly open about it, right? And I always, always respected those in the military. And I just, I didn't have... A lot of people, I mean, again, my grandfather, but he didn't talk about it a lot. And then my other grandfather was dead and my dad was an athlete. So like we didn't have a lot. Of, so I didn't have that people in my family uh, that had served as many of them, you know. And yeah. uh, but I always found I always held it in high regard. I yeah. was sort of like, wow, those those people are a, a beyond reproach. Like they're somebody. Yeah. And um, and then I went the athletic route in my life. And, you know, I've, I've said before, like athletics is awesome. It gave me most of what I have in my life, but I started realizing, especially in a, in the sport I was in, which was hammer throw. It's a very selfish sport. Mm. You have, I mean, the only thing that matters is I'm, am I ready on meet day? Right. You know, do I care about the rest of my team? Yeah. I want them to do well, but really 99.99999% of what I give a crap about is me. Yeah. Because, because if you're not doing well, it doesn't, it doesn't really affect the team as a whole as much. It affects like, points. But yeah. like, I'll be honest, like we were in college, I didn't give a shit about points besides SEC conference and nationals. I was trying to make it to the Olympic team. Like right. that was my goal. Yeah. You know? So you have to be so focused uh, to do that. You, you kind of block out the rest of the world and what anyone's, you know, doing or it's just like, I don't care. Like, yeah. You know, I'm doing me. And you, you chase that dream for so long. And so my last, time as a, a real, real athlete was 2004 Olympic trials. And so, you know, the, the war had been gone for about three years at that time. And so, you know, you're still, you watch on TV, you don't know what's going on. Right. But I would watch this stuff. And, you know, of course, when 9-11 happened, it was, you know, gut-wrenching for us all. And, you know, I always, they always had that respect. And then when, when some of my friends started to come back or kids that I'd mentored when I was in college, they were in high school. And I'd trained them and things like that and mentored them. And then they started going off to college and graduating and going off to war. And I'm getting, you know, emails and stuff like that from, you know, I remember one of my buddies, uh, Matt Jenkins, and and he sends me, he's Marine, mm-hmm. and he sends me a, a picture from inside of his, of his, you know, it was very common for you, but like inside of his tent. And it looks like a dust storm. Like you can't <laughs> see across yeah. the tent. He's like, so this was a kind of a rough one tonight. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is this is happening. And this, you know, and he's sending me, you know, hitting me up with emails like, Hey man, things are getting really bad. Just let, you know, I love you. Appreciate for all you've done for me. Wow. Like I hope to see you when I get back. I'm like, Holy cow. Like this is it's like, coming real for you. There's a real, real. Yeah. Right. And then thankfully he's, he's made it and, and had a great career and he's still in the service. Um, awesome. but, uh, you know, and that, that kind of thing just kept occurring. And then I would start running into more and more guys. And so as I kind of transitioned out of athletics, because I, because I actually got tired of being selfish, And I was a single Mm. guy that was, the world was my oyster, came and go as I please, no kids, no wife, girlfriend was whatever. I was training, I was hunting, I was lifting, throwing, running the business, like, you know, by by all intents and purposes, it was a a great time, right? (laughs) But then you wake up one day, you're like, I'm doing this all for me. Uh. And that's wildly selfish, and it doesn't have any lasting benefit. If I was to die today... People would say, wow, Bert was pretty strong and he threw a ball far. <laughs> like that isn't a, a that isn't a legacy of value that I would be leaving on the world that has any type of no type of preservation. Right. I was like, okay, I know I always wanted kids. I know I always wanted to make a difference in other people's lives. And this isn't doing it. Throwing yeah. a ball far isn't doing that. Yeah. So uh gave up my Olympic dream, really hammered down on Sorenex. That was uh dad got cancer during that time. So I was taking care of him and trying to get the business cranking. 
kind of started moving towards that growing up phase of life. That was when that started happening. And right about that time, a lot of these veterans started coming back and we become more and more friends with them. And I was like, whoa, you guys have a thing that I'd wanted, which was, I, you know, I was the only child. I always wanted brothers. I always wanted, I always wanted someone's life to matter as much or more than mine. Yeah. But I never had that because as an only child and as a, in an individual sport, you're the one that matters. Screw everyone else. It, you know, not screw everyone else, but eh, they're kind of a non, non-issue. Right. And I just got realized how empty that was. And so I wanted to care more for people. I wanted to have these people that I could, you know, call and, and help out and all this stuff. So, and then the veteran community not only had that, but they also had the same mindset for problem solving you know, mm. innovative solutions to hard challenges, grit, mm-hmm. wanting, you know, and it was like, wow, you guys have the same fabric of what you believe in and you're pro-American. <laughs> you know, all these th- same things that I believe in. And also I could find an ability to help. And that was kind of a game changer for me. And so some of the, some of my buddies, whether they be teams guys or, or Marines or whoever they may be, um, you know, we started building more and more friendships. And of course I've been a shooter and a gun guy my whole life. And so I was like, Oh, cool. Like most hammer throwers really aren't into guns. And mm-hmm. so like, well, you we could go and shoot and hunt together. And like, wow, we're really a lot more similar than I thought. And then I realized that I could use my platform as in my success to help others that, that did the hard stuff that, you know, honestly, the ability for me to travel around and throw a ball was because those guys were out there fighting and getting their asses shot off. Yeah. And I don't forget that. And I had a really great life and I've had a really great life. Now I've worked really hard, but I've had an opportunity to have a really great life because other people have signed their name on that check. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that that they know I appreciate it. Just for those, uh, those out there who, uh, you know, and obviously I'll kind of explain to those who don't know what it is that Sornex does, but can you kind of just quickly summarize that? I know that's tough because it is. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is we make, innovative training solutions. So weightlifting equipment, strength conditioning equipment. Now, you know, is it home gym stuff, right? Uh, it's, it's higher end stuff. People, you know, regular clients buy stuff from us all the time, Yeah. but we are generally known for, we're in almost every NFL team, uh, currently almost uh, most colleges, you know, some more industrial professional grade, as I've always said, like the, we're the generally the go-to guys for the go-to guys, the people that have to win for a living. Yeah. They generally choose us. And that goes, uh, into whether it be most tier one organizations have something of ours and, and special forces all through the the line. And that's what I was getting to was what does it mean to build for those guys? Like how that's my favorite. That's my favorite. Yeah. That's my favorite for sure. Because I know it has a real impact and I hate to say like, well, the the Patriots have an impact. They do, but no one's going to die if, someone doesn't make that catch <laughs> in the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, they may it, feel it, like they are, but yeah. Not, yeah. And, and again, not to downplay athletics right. again, but athletics is a game. And so it's awesome that, you know, multiple Super Bowl champions have used our stuff and all that. That's great. But when I know we're building strength and conditioning equipment and innovative solutions for people who literally their life depends on their yeah. battle ready physical ability and the tools that we make, making sure that those are as good as we could get them, that those men and women that are serving our country are are ready to go. Mm. And if we can make people harder to kill through our, our tools, 
then that's that's the goal, right? Yeah. And so that's the stuff for me because I have a, an interest in that world. I have a lot of friends in that world. And then I met a lot of friends because of that. Uh, you know, we, we built weight rooms for them and then we get talking and we go out for a couple of beers and, or some guys that I'm friends with call me up like, Hey man, we're up here at Fort so-and-so, so-and-so. We just got a whole new load of your stuff, man. How do we use this over here? And we could go back and forth. And then I just know it's like, wow, in a small way, you know, me or my company are making a difference in the fight for freedom. That's amazing. Because I know the, the tactical athletes are getting stronger and more durable because of our tools and that's to me that's the that's the most fun for me and that's the biggest excitement because everyone wants to be relative right? yeah you know and i go wow some of the stuff that we did is relative to the extent where people's lives would be saved mm-hmm. and that to me is a much more selfless and valuable proposition to than just like hey i made some bumpers because i want to you know, make some money or make someone look better naked. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's cool and all, but you know, uh, the, the, the veteran community, I have a, I have a, a close heart for. That's where, that's where I made my first realization about how important the gym was, was in Iraq. Huge. Like, sure. You know, like I, I've been an athlete and I started even playing in college. So mm-hmm. I was in the Texas national guard. I got deployed in the middle cool. of my college career to Iraq <laughs> And at the time, I wasn't really, you know, I didn't, I'm a baseball player. I considered myself, I was like, I'm talented. I know what I'm doing. You know, I don't need to be in the gym that often. Right. You know, baseball players don't need to build muscle mass. Yeah, That's yeah. not important. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you you probably weren't pitching any fastballs at like Taliban or No, anything. no, no. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. So I get overseas and, um, and I remember there was this experience where I saw a guy uh, from one of the Ranger battalions who was like, um, he was rowing, one arm rowing, you know, with the, with the long bar. Mm-hmm. And he was doing it with, uh, he was doing it with two forty fives on each side, mm-hmm. like each arm. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to be like him. Yeah. And I can't, it, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so I see him in like, I'm like, wow, that's serious. Like, I, you know, I don't think I could ever do that, but like I'm watching him. And then like two days later, he's not in the gym. And I asked about him. I was like, Hey man, where'd that guy go? And they're like, Oh, you're talking about Jenkins. I'm like, yeah. He's like, Oh, he got shot yesterday. And I was like, oh, man, that sucks. Dude, I come in the next day, and he's got a bandage over his leg, and he's doing deadlifts. And so I'm like, I come up to him, and I was like, hey, man, I want to be more like you. Absolutely. He's like, you got to be here every day. He's like, when you're off mission, you're in here. And so I started coming in like every day, man. And it was within like three or four months. I went on leave, and I went back to my baseball team, and I stepped Mm -hmm. in the dugout. And guys were like, Colzac, do you have like a lot of layers on under that hoodie, man? You're looking a lot bigger, dude. <laughs> and it was like when I heard that, that was yeah. like the positive momentum. Oh, sure. I got back and I had three months left and I kept lifting, man. And I get back and it's like, I realized like in that moment when I saw him lifting, yeah. like he was like, yeah, I mean, it's very possible. Like my muscle mass saved my life. Like, of course. Like, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what have I been missing out on this whole yeah, time? Yeah. Yeah. And I would think from a sporting aspect, when you even got back, not only physically were you I would think better, but I would think mentally after you've seen some of the stresses and horrors of war, mm-hmm. baseball is really easy. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. I look at that and Super. I just go, cause I used to throw, there was, there was these guys, uh, um, when I was at, in college at the university of South Carolina, there was these, uh, shot putters, these German shot putters at LSU. Mm-hmm. And these kids were like 23, 24 years old, but they were freshmen. But, oh, wow. but what they had come because Germany had a, at that time you had to go in the army Mandatory for a couple service. years. Yeah. So these dudes are rolling in as like six, 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 seven giant German dudes, 
that are freshmen at 24 <laughs> and I'm like 18 <laughs> You know, I'm like, these are men, men. Team you know? Chris Winkies. Oh, it's just crazy. <laughs> and they were so good because physically they were just super developed. They were on the Olympic program there. Yeah. But also I just real, I just could, they had that maturity, like that mind maturity. And yeah. I'm like, oh, right. Because you've done actual hard stuff. You've been in the freaking German army for the last <laughs> yeah. few years. So, and I, I talked to one of them. He goes, yeah, this is a vacation, man. Yeah. He's like going to LSU. And going to class and having to show up to practice every once in a while, and they feed me all I want, and I get to do this. I get to go party with American chicks. He's yeah. like, this is summer camp. Life is good. Yeah, and you're just like, wow, you're a Division One NCAA athlete, and you're basically say this is summer yeah. camp. That that's interesting. My my mindset was a, experienced a massive shift when I came back oh. because I loved being like after baseball practice, four hours baseball practice in a went home, ate dinner in the gym for two, two and a half yeah. hours every night. And sure. you guys were like, dude, like I was, I'll, t- I'll say this, like uh, out of my team, I was the biggest beast on the team. I yeah. was, there yeah. was nobody that was going to outwork me. Yeah. And it was like, cause this is fun, dude. It's like, I get to look good for the girls and like place. No one's shooting at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have a bed. Yeah. I have a bed. <laughs> it's yeah. great. Like the, the mindset shift is huge, oh, man. I could, I mean, you see a lot of these, these college and NFL you know, players that go in the service and then they come out, they're always, they're always killers Yeah, because they've done hard stuff. And yeah. so, you know, yeah, I, I, I think more and more like when I, you know, I came out of, out of high school straight into college as, and as an athlete and, mm-hmm. and I think more and more like, gosh, if I'd done a couple of years in the service and come out like more, I would be more mature I physically, mentally, spiritually, everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, but the ones who did it, you, yeah. you always see they, they succeed. For sure. But it just is a testament to what the military gives you. Yeah. But I think for you, like having that good, you know, that good foundation of your father and like your parents were very well, they they sound very much like my parents. So like me without the military is still going to be, you know, still hopefully going to be a pretty good dude because my parents, you know, raised me. They did a good job. I got into the army. Like some of the stuff they were saying, it's like. Hey man, there's no choice. You obey authority. That's all you do. Like there's no, right. If I ever got in trouble, it was cause I didn't understand something very well, or I, maybe I was moving too quickly or too slowly through something, right. but it was never for lack of obeying. Yeah. Cause yeah. authority was like, not, I'd see guys argue like this is Oh five. When I joined, I'd see guys argue and I'm thinking to myself, we're in the middle of a surge right now where 175,000 guys are over in Iraq and we're losing a lot of guys. Yeah. Like, I would kind of pay attention to the dudes who just got back from their first combat. Yeah, why not, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. Just your life. (laughs) Yeah, just, you know, I I think that's probably one of the things that, strangely enough, I've, has been a secret to my success is I listened, hey, I listened to my parents. Uh, Both of them are awesome. Both of them taught me to think. Both of them taught me to uh, look at problems differently and, and then another thing that was really interesting was I tend to learn from experience, of course, I'm very introspective or whatever the experience was, but I tend to learn from other people's experiences very well. So I'll try to listen to what they're saying. Kind of like when you had your people that were coming back off the battlefield, dude, you could get so much knowledge yeah, so from much. listening to the guys that just went through it. And, and I think I haven't, I haven't had some of the major setbacks in my life because I didn't have to make the mistake myself. Right. Uh, I was able to listen to those guys that have gotten their nuts kicked in a number of times. And I said, okay, well, 
How'd you get your nuts kicked in? Okay, <laughs> what were the indicators that you saw prior to nut kicking? <laughs> and I don't got want it. That. I won't do that. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, some people are like, oh yeah, and I go through scar- hard hard knocks. I'm like, I had enough hard knocks. Yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to sign up for more of them. That's interesting. You know, I love that point, man, because so many people talk about experiential learning nowadays, and it's like, well, sometimes you have to really experience that thing to know what it's like to improve. And I'm like, I think that's so overrated. I as think a concept. it's totally overrated. I think you. You have to when maybe fortune or whatever turns that direction and just things happen. Or if you're working outside of the the framework of anything your friends have experienced, yeah. like, you know, yeah, you're building a billion dollar company. You don't know anyone's done. Yeah, sure. You're going to need some experience. But let's be honest. Most stuff is written down right now. Like, <laughs> hey, even Bible's a pretty good guide. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, There's nothing new under the sun. Go ahead and read that and you're like, yeah. hey, huh, this solves most problems. Yeah. You know, and Solomon even says that in the Bible. He says yeah. there's nothing new under the sun. Like, read Proverbs. Yeah. Proverbs will, will you, you know, you go. It's the businessman's book. You read that and you're like, oh right, I could. This this basically told me most about humanity. I could solve a lot of stuff right off the rip. You guys figured it out thousands of years ago, <laughs> but me as a 17 year old is going to say, I got to go to experience more. <laughs> it. Like, come on, man. Like, what are you thinking? You, you know? know how many things I wish I could go back and just learn totally. from actually somebody telling me. But it's ego and pride, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. Everyone thinks that they're the, the actor in their own movie and then they're going to do their thing. And, and it's like, dude, why don't you just go find some old mentors and ask yeah. them? And, you know, thankfully, my dad went through the hard knocks part himself. And he, but he's a great storyteller. Yeah. So I'd hear these stories and, and stuff like that. And, he, and my mom's a teacher. So you just go, okay, you're giving me the answers to the test. Mm-hmm. Why do I have to go fail this test five times before I start studying? Yeah. Why don't I just listen to the answers because and then save some juice and some gas for down the road when I'm dealing with stuff that no one I know has had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Let me save my bumps and bruises for when I'm when I'm going to need it. If I'm going to take a bullet, let me do it on target. Yeah. Like, don't do it in training. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. So that that's kind of how, for some reason, I've always looked at it. And I think that's been a big part of success. You know, that's interesting because I when you know we were just in Montana with the guys from Heroes and Horses, we were mm-hmm. doing a story on them, Micah and uh, Chris. And, you know, one of the things is I'm, I'm, you know, Micah's teaching me how to ride a horse as I go, you know, riding up these switchbacks. It's, you know, it's it's my like third time riding, right. you know, switchbacks are a little tough when you're like a novice horse. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? It's a little terrifying, too. When you look, you're up Super on this terrifying. six, eight feet up off the ground. and You look down this giant cliff. You're like, oh, so I wouldn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. For like a zip code. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I had my horse like roll over on me at one moment, like oh, sat, shoot. like laid down and like, like, you know, I didn't have the experience to really know yeah. like what to do in the situation. So the horse started to roll on me because it was, you know, it was like getting the flies off of its body and so it's just a sense so so very so as i'm getting rolled over on i just hear a very calm authoritative voice you know and it's micah and he's like hey man he's like so right now that horse has got you pinned what i need you to do is pull your right foot out from the stirrup as calmly as you can and pull out and just walk away and so you know this thousand pound animal is like turned yeah. over on me and uh i managed but I, I stayed calm the whole time i don't know what it was but right. it's kind of the same experience as being in iraq i felt pretty cool about the moment like mm-hmm. 
but I, I was thinking like if this horse gets up and drags me i'm definitely dead like oh yeah so i gotta get helpful. my leg out yeah need to go ahead and fix this yeah so F- i pull my a <laughs> <laughs> to get to b yeah. so i pull my leg out and michael and after i got out from under the animal michael was like you know he started clapping and he was like dude that was impressive man he's like you never know how somebody's gonna get you know feel right. when you get rolled over on but uh, in that moment i didn't go Man, you know what? I'm gonna go my own way here, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I know what I'll do. I'll freak out. Yeah, I'll freak out. Like I'm probably gonna listen to the Navy SEAL, you know, who's yeah, done it in you know did, combat did and like this, now yeah. knows horses really well yeah. and has worked yeah. with some of the best cattlemen in the world. You know, sure. so it, it's it's those lessons that we learn, you know, from our mentors and like you said about g- g- grabbing onto that older person. You know, oh. my parents were big on talking to adults when i was a kid same and i was a guy i was the kid talking to adults because i was like they're way more fascinating than other kids yeah kids are dumb they don't know anything like like, i'm dumb i'm a kid like why am i yeah i I will say that like my both my parents always had me exposed to you know because as an only child like they're gonna go and do their dinners and all these other stuff with people and i just get dragged along but you know i'm in a hunt camp with adults like 10 years old and there's 10 other adults and me. Wow. And when I got to, and this is in Maine, I got to bear camp and the, all the men, like, cause they're like this bear camp is big and it's manly. And, and, and they, <laughs> they gave my dad crap when he showed up with me and like to the wow. point where they're like bitching at the guide, like, why are you bringing this boy? This is a man camp and we're going to be hunting here. This isn't babysitting and all this other stuff. And they gave him some shit that I later found out about. I didn't, you know, thankfully they kind of were nice to my face. Right. I'm sorry. I was, I was 12 at the time. I wasn't 10. You know, pops had trained me. So yeah. day one, I shot a bear and I was off for the rest of the week. And I was fly fishing in the stream and those dudes were still out hunting. And they were like, it was kind of fun. He was able to kind of like shove it up their butt. Like, wow, you yeah. know, he was like, no, he'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And they're like, well, and then first night I come back with a bear. I'm like, all right, well, I'm done. And they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, but the thing was that they didn't realize like my father, but my, my father's mentor in hunting, like I'd hung out with those guys since I was a little kid. And you, you know, same thing, even today, thankfully part of my success has allowed me to get in the same room as some true experts. Yeah, And I utilize that. And it's not for, you know, Oh yeah, I'm going to post it on social media. Of course I, I do some of that because you know, you want to thank those people that spend time with you and, and invest. But kind of what I've found is like, I try to find the best person. If I'm going to try to learn a skill, try to find the best person on the planet to teach you that skill, like the off the rip. Yeah. Because there's so many people that think they know what they're doing and you can learn it poorly. I'd rather learn it really well once, you know, on the, at least my first crack at it Yeah. versus like, let me just try to muddle through this. And that's what I always did as a kid. Like I try to muddle through it and then you learn all these bad habits and then you finally learn, get, so then you have to unwind things. And so it's now it's like, you know, if I want to learn guitar, I'm not going to learn it at all until I find like someone very good and I'll pay for their time or whatever. Like mm-hmm. teach me how to play the guitar, at least my first lesson. So I understand that I could just kind of, I hate to say kind of jump ahead in line a little bit yeah, because yeah. I don't have, I don't have time yeah. <laughs> to screw around. I don't have the next 25 years to figure out yeah. how to play guitar. Yeah. So, uh, that, that's been kind of fun, whether it's, you know, a John Dudley for archery or, you know, hoist Gracie for jujitsu or, mm. you know, stuff like that. It's like, Hey, if I got that access to that person, it's like, all right, teach me your thing and I'll yeah. trade with whatever skill set that I have that I could bring value to the table. It's pretty. It's probably pretty special for you to you know run around in some of those circles where guys are so experienced in those areas. I mean, oh, I know dream. I find it myself with the guys that I'm with. You know, they're top tier guys, and just thinking to myself, like, 
I don't know if I'd be photographing and telling the stories of these dudes. It's and then, crazy. So for you to be in these circles and to learn from some of the foremost experts, you it's know, crazy. But, but you're an expert in a lot of ways in your industry. And so getting to run in with these guys and probably help them out in whatever you can is probably pretty special for you too to give it's, back. It's super special. And I think that's what I, I finally realized was with these and again, I don't mean to be like celebrities or what, but they're high performing individuals. Very, Some people yeah. don't know who they are, but high performers, right? Yeah. And I always had a, a an, an affection to, to of high performers, like who the best of the best, and those are the people that I want to try to learn from. Yeah. So with that, uh, you find those people and you make sure that you could offer a value to them. And sometimes that value could be supporting them, it could be cheering them on, it could be whatever it may be. Or you could develop your own value proposition. For me, it happens to be strength and conditioning and some things like that. So mm -hmm. I said, okay, if I want to be at the table with these people that I look up to for their skill sets and their abilities, I have to also have a, a you know a covered dish. I have to be bringing something <laughs> to the table. Yeah. And so then that that makes me look at the develop of development of my value proposition. So then I could say, hey, so and so you know, sure. I'll teach you how to lift or to how to do this and that and the other. If you teach me how to build a knife. Yeah. And Jason Knight. Yeah. And yeah. That, you know, and this, I like, saw that. That cool. was so yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. was, uh, that guy is an incredible, yeah. incredible teacher. Yeah. And he's so kind, so kind yeah. and just such an amazing guy. But I wanted to make sure I didn't, that I was prepared to not waste his time. So, mm -hmm. you know, thinking cap was on phone was in my pocket you know, if he told me to do a thing, I did a thing because I value his time as much, but then also that I was able to give to him through, through my value proposition. So that's what I would tell people. They always say, well, how do you get in with so-and-so, so-and-so? It's not getting in with a certain person. It's develop yourself where you have enough value to bring to the world. And then people will start asking you to the table versus trying to elbow your way to the table. Mm, and that's yeah. the key. And yeah. that's the key. And, and I would say, I mean, there's a ton of veterans that, you know, I see them flounder at times. They don't mm -hmm. really know what to do. And I go, Hey man, you were given and taught this amazing skill set. Now certain skill sets aren't going to be needed in the civilian world. Right, like yeah. it's cool. If you could shoot a, you know, something from 1500 meters away, unless you're teaching precision, long range shooting, yeah, that's probably not a skill set you're going to need. So you're going to have to pivot and understand like, what are some of the basic things that you learned from that mm. skill set? Yeah. Was it those intangibles, those intangibles? Was it attention to detail, uh, thinking outside the box? Was it, you know, all those little things. And then that could be turned into something valuable. And, but just because you were a veteran or just because you were a sniper or a seal or anything like that, doesn't inherently mean you're going to be successful in business nor right. really show value to the civilian world. And that's, that's kind of the cruel reality of it. Yeah. And that's something that just personally, I try to help veterans with where they understand maybe kind of the other side of the fence mm -hmm. where they understand how to kind of reintegrate back in and, and where they could kind of search their value proposition and their tool box of tools and go, okay, maybe these 10 tools aren't really usable in this scenario but these two are super valuable that I could bring value to another business or person yeah. thus gets me where I want to be in life. Yeah. I, I remember coming back from one of my, you know, or coming back from my tour. And at the time uh, I had, I had some resentment about something. I got angry about something and I did one of those, you know, I'm a veteran speeches sure. or whatever, you know, <laughs> which we're sure. probably all guilty of giving at some moment. And, and all of us do. 
in our own right. Right. right? Yeah. Regardless of what it is. Exactly. Veteran or not, everyone's going to say, well, I'm a like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember like my dad pulling me aside cause he had seen it and he's like, you know, kind of put his arm around me and he's like, son, he's like, nobody cares. And there was like the, the, the statement that he was, my dad had served, he'd served sure. in the air force and, you know, for 10, 12 years. And he, his statement to me was simply like, you've got to make your own path now. That should not be the thing that earns you the right to create something else, right? Like, right. And that, and that's the way that the World War II generation believed. They just got back to work. There was no, yep. hey man, I was in the Battle of the Bulge because the next guy over is like, cool, I was at Iwo Jima, you know? Like, <laughs> right. You know, right. Pelu was kind of rough too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so, so my dad's point was like, you don't want to earn the, you don't want to get those yeah. opportunities necessarily because you're a veteran. You want to get those opportunities because. You're working your ass off yes. and people believe in you around you. Yeah. Yeah. You, you nailed it. And I think, I think we're, we're, we're kind of seeing the, the dark side of that right now mm. because so many guys got back and it was very, you know, I'd say three, four five years ago it was very special op crazy. Like, yes. You know, very. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like, Oh man, this guy's, a, I learned from a Navy seal. I learned Seals from were getting a, all the movie deals. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think there was almost a false, bubble it was almost like a real estate bubble that was created that mm. everyone thought that all i got to do is get tabbed and it, the world's my oyster yeah, yeah. and you're like ah. yeah it, it, derek woodsky put it really well like so he was a national champion multiple time hammer thrower from canada i trained He's such with. a nice guy derek is amazing yeah, yeah. and he was a strength coach or one of the strength coaches for the um the cleveland browns after wow. he got out of out of uh, throwing hammer and he wasn't the head guy, but the head guy told him, he said, hey, Derek, that's really cool. You're really strong. And I'll paraphrase it a little bit, but he said, uh, it's cool that you're a Canadian national record holder and champion. He goes, that's going to get you five minutes with these guys. That's going to get you five minutes of respect and wow. interest. Yeah. He said, after that, it's up to you to get the next hour with them. He's mm. like, can you in the first five minutes show them enough value? Because that, that you were Canadian national champion is going to get you five minutes. Yeah. Can you bring enough value to them in five minutes that they'll listen to you for an hour? And if you could do it in an hour and really get them, you got them hooked for life. Mm, yeah. And that's where I think these, a lot of the veterans need to understand is like the veterans, veteran card's going to get you five minutes right. with most people. Yeah. It's going to make you someone listen. But honestly, if you go into a whole bunch of war stories and, 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 and run the, the, I hate to say that the kind of the veteran jokes that the civilians don't understand, it's going yeah. to kind of be putting off people are like, Oh, okay. So like, you're still there in your mind with all your buddies, you're going to run those jokes and everything like that. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I think it's interesting. You got those cool things, but I still don't see value of how I could pay you X number of dollars a year or pay you for anything when you still haven't included me in the plan in any way, nor shown me value. Yeah. So cool and all, maybe we'll go out and have some drinks, but, probably not going to hire you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll shake your hand, tell you, I respect you. Of course. But. And and that's, that's kind of the harsh reality of it. The veterans, it sucks because for all they gave, it's going to give them about five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you've, and you've had veterans working for you oh, here certainly. at the company, certainly. but you, you don't hire them based off of their veteran status. You hire them because you know, you're going to get something great out of that person. You I know. hire, I hire people based on their ability to get the job done. Right. Yeah. Some veterans have been good at it. Some veterans have not been good at it. Yeah. And I, I all, I can't always put my personal, like, Oh, I really appreciate their service into the place of maybe they're just not good at that job. Yeah. And how do we develop in that job? Whatever. Now that's a whole different thing. 
but I think it's remiss as a business owner to put anyone in a position based on their past. I mean, you're only good as your last game. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And, and the one that the next one is the one that matters. Right. <laughs> like, and so it's like, okay, if you're not living in this right now, yeah. getting this job done, um, you know, that has to be done. So that I would say as, and most veterans are probably getting that now, but I would say, you know, words of love to those guys are, you know, develop your, your skill set now and give, give companies an opportunity to hire veterans because of your, of your abilities mm. versus we're, we're all proud that you served our country. Yeah, we yeah. appreciate it, but I can't hire people that I like, you know, just because I like them because <laughs> there's a, there's a job to do. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. so learn the job and don't be afraid to transition from what you used to do. And a, a good friend of mine was, you know, at a SEAL operation. He, he talked about it. He said, I was a SEAL. I'm not a Navy SEAL. I was a SEAL. SEAL is what I used to do. I run a human performance company now. This is what I do. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. He was able to take the things he learned there and do some amazing things with them, but he doesn't play the SEAL card every day. Because, yeah. And this guy was at the place of the place for a long time. Wow. Right. And that was, that was just a, a very sobering thing for me. Cause you know, the, the ego inside me, I'm like, gosh, if I have done what you would have done, I'd probably, you know, I'd have a freaking giant hat with it on there. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? like the, the little kid in me was like, oh my gosh. You know? But then yeah. the, the maturity of that gentleman was like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. That, that's not what I do anymore. When I chose to leave the Navy, I'm out. And so now I'm a civilian. Now I play by the same rules as everyone else. Hopefully those times in that operation taught me things that I could then turn into the civilian world. We have, a, we have a really hard time leaving that behind. Understandably so, because some great experiences and some tough experiences and the trauma of that. Yeah. The mentality and just, you know, the, the mental effects of that are so Oh, and heavy. it permeated every cell of your being. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's, it, it, I, I really feel for you guys because there's been so much stress or so much a stimulus on your personal, physical emotional, psychological, spiritual, everything has been totally engulfed in this. It's, it has to be extremely difficult. Yeah. And I don't want to downplay that in the least. Oh, of course. Yeah. But my yeah. point was that we have, but that we have a really hard time leaving oh, that sure. behind. And, and at a certain point you have to, like you have to, the, the war stories are only cool after so long sure. and they only have a certain place. Like, yeah. You know, and, and I, I mean, I look at it nowadays and what I do and like somebody will be telling me a story, you know, for the 10th time. And I'm like, come on, buddy. Like, yeah. I've heard a lot of cool stories. Like, I've seen some yeah. cool stories. Probably been in cool <laughs> yeah. stories. Like you telling me this, like, I really want to see you grow and adapt. Yeah. Like, you know, growth and adaptation is a big thing mm -hmm. here at Sornex. Like you guys. That's what it's all about. You guys have adapted to almost every situation and scenario that's come along. I mean, even including this latest one. I don't even want to date the podcast by talking about <laughs> pandemic. But, you know, you, you yeah. guys have dated and you got or you guys have adapted yeah to every situation that's come along how do we you tried. maintain how do you maintain that and we, it because the 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 mindset has to remain constant it has to come innovative training solutions or innovative solutions really the bottom line is so innovative solutions for sornex could look like steel rectangles and weights because that's the solution that's needed at the time but an innovative solution to whatever the business is at the moment that is that's that's solve whatever comes out of door number one right and yeah. that's where i think people have to understand is 
you know, as a, as, as a vet, you've been, you've developed these amazing skill sets to deal with, you know, if you're going door to door in Fallujah or Ramadi, like you had to deal with whatever came out of door number one or door number two or whatever it is. Okay. Use that same mindset to deal with whatever you're going through now. And Mm -hmm. that, that's the key of it all is it's, you have to be flexible. You have to remain dynamic and everything and use some of the same principles, but the bottom line is solve the problem. Yeah. You know, if that, if the problem is we have to have something that cushions a weight that does this and this and this great. If the problem is supply chain, great. If the problem solve the problem, yeah, solve the problem and be dynamic and innovative in the ways that you do so. And always be looking antennas up for that next way that you could possibly solve it. And don't get so wrapped around the axle that, you know, I have to play the athlete card, the veteran card. I mean, I know a number of guys that won gold medals doing this and that in track and field. And you talk to them and you're like, man, they're still there. Yeah. They're still, and, and, and that's where I look at the veteran community and the sports community are similar in some ways, especially at the high level, because there is an inoculation and a, and a development within the brain that I think starts relying off of a dopamine hit from that brand of stress. Mm. And when when those who can't develop out of that they start they, they they turn into something different and derek and i talk about it we call it we talk about deconstructing the monster yeah and in track and field and in strength sports power sports in general that's where i find they're, they're so similar to the the special operations world it's highly aggressive it's highly you know masculine testosterone you know, I'm the biggest, baddest, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, you put 600 pounds in your back, it's trying to kill you. you like, you have to be ready for that. Right. Yeah. And so we see this, whether it's, you know, high end football or linemen, whatever, shot putters, weightlifters. And then I, we saw it right away in the sport and special operations community and the, the military community in general, all these people have been there. Maybe were physically predestined to be fighters, mm. right. Then they were developed to be fighters mm. <laughs> through some of the best. Yeah. And, you know, iterations of training in the world to be fighters. Right. And then it's, so it's like taking a pit bull that's already genetically good for it. You train him to be a fighting pit bull. And then on one day you pull him out of it, you take him to the dog park and you yell at him for fighting other dogs. You're like, (laughs) (laughs) you're like, he's, he's love that point. (laughs) Yeah. You trained him to do that. Yeah. And so you can't just pull the linchpin on the thing. You can't just go, sorry, I know you're a, you know, 80 pound pit bull that's been trained to fight, but now I need you to go hang out with kids at a dog park. Mm. No, man. And that, that's where I see the special operations community. I don't think they've done a good job of transitioning out, but what I think they have to understand is you have to deconstruct that monster. And that's what we used to call the monster. It was like, you know, I was a different person when I was throwing and lifting those weights and whatever. You have to be a different person in here, in your head, in your heart. Like you have to believe that you're bulletproof. Right. And I'm sure that the, 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 the operations community goes through the same thing. Unfortunately, that is a no longer needed skill set. Yeah. And instead of being depressed about it you realize you've built this monster hate to call it the monster but you know in some ways it is it's a maybe a monster for good but it's a monster true yeah and you you can't pull the linchpin you have to deconstruct it slowly you have to say okay i don't need this weapon i could lay that down and i could still breathe and i could still be a dude and i could still do my thing and then it's almost like a halfway house scenario you have to slowly deconstruct the monster and turn those 
those maybe those demons inside or turn those those needs turn yeah. those needs for dopamine or excitement or adrenaline or whatever you have to turn those into other things that could be valuable and needed and acceptable to the civilian world <laughs> or, or or there will be problems yeah you know i sat with the world record holder in the shot put the world record has been around for 30 years the guy's gold medalist silver medalist in the olympics world record indoor and outdoor jeez friend of mine and honestly i hate to say it but didn't seem very happy and i've known him for a long time and it hasn't seemed happy and because he's still living in that world and he's past his prime he's yeah. bad of course he's in his 50s whatever and and it's almost the weight of that history is weighing on him so heavily still that unfortunately i don't think he could enjoy life right now wow and i look at it and i go gosh i see the same thing in the veteran community yeah. so that's where i look at it and go a lot of the athletics community and the veteran community is very similar in that way. Very, very similar. And that's where I want to pull together and say, Hey, how about instead of a veterans transition thing or whatever, because some of those are, there's a lot of those. Right. And I've not also noticed that veterans don't always want to speak to veterans about these things. Yes. You know, true. they're like, whether it's a branch thing, whether that's a, whatever, whether that's a, uh, still a competitiveness to it. Yeah. I don't want to show it, you know, but what I have found, and it's been part of the secret to the success of like a summer strong, the veteran will talk to the Olympian. Mm. The Olympian will talk to the veteran Olympians and sports guys. They don't want to sit around and, and because they, they all have to posture still and still, the veterans seem to do the same thing. Yeah. But when they're, when, when the guy who was a unit guy goes and talks to a gold medalist, well, there's no competition. We were both at the top of our game and mm -hmm. what we did. I find a value in you. You have a skill set I do not have. Yeah. I find a value in you. You have a skill set I don't have. So now we could be friends. Yeah. We're not posturing each other. And now we could start getting into real conversation and realize, hey, man, we're both broken. Mm. And let's start getting into this. How? What have you experienced when you won your gold medal? What did you experience when you did this, this, and this, and now you can't do that anymore? And that's why I would, that's one of the things that Sorenex tries to do because we play so heavily in both spaces. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of the social sewing together of people, pull those two groups together, and then they could realize there's so many similarities, but maybe the guy who was in the NFL for five years then blew out his knee got out and then he got it when he was at a top level guy he can no longer do it he's feeling the exact same thing as this other guy did that got shot and he's no longer in. Mm. and so those guys could kind of talk things out yeah. and they could start working together and so that's one value i find sorenex that we're able to do and that's kind of my personal project is i try to tie those people together yeah because i could see i could see they could help each other deconstruct their own monsters and deal with their own demons you know i like the terminology you're using actually monster because it is a thing you know that i was taught as a kid that war is a necessary evil my mm -hmm. dad you know would very as a at a very young age would talk sure. to me about you know i mean i studied military history from like six years old you wow. know my dad was guiding me through these books and cool. you know and i love that stuff like learning about special operations and fighting the cartels and oh, all that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff so that experience has been was really special for me as a kid but he made me understand like from a from a christian perspective that war is an evil thing it's a terrible yes. awful thing so but you want to be the best at it that you can be. You want to be the best warrior you can be. So you it's always kind of a weird sword, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a strange thing. Like yeah. It's kind of a it's a it's a weird conundrum that you're in where you're fighting, where you're trying to be the best at what you can do at something you know is a terrible thing, wow. you know. And so 
my dad was making me understand like you know some of these biblical heroes of david of you know, men like that who who fought because they were they because of the you know of the sin problem mm-hmm. existing on this planet that now we have to go to war it's interesting to me i like that monster terminology because it is that like having to kill and having to take life and do those things i mean it's it it is an awful thing you know yeah. but it is but you want to be the best that you can be so that you can save your brothers so that yep. you can defend so you what's could, yours uh, and it's actually kind of like a punishment a punishment is best served quickly mm-hmm. and effectively you know and in a war a best war would be short one yes. right and you you're, you make it short by being effective yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 we're not trying to drag this thing on yeah. like sometimes you, know, you gotta turn the place into glass like you know it is it's actually more humane yeah yeah you establish dominance quickly get mm-hmm. it done and then move out of there and go okay cool let's all go back to our lives yeah you know, an ineffective war is a, is a costly one I, I think people think those things are you know or like don't understand that those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive like right. your ability to fight a war in a certain way in the way that you experience that dynamic like hiroshima and nagasaki we can recognize that those are terrible tragedies at the same point that they saved millions and millions of lives totally. and the fact that we didn't have to fight on mainland japan so like that was helpful yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was helpful oh you know my grandpa's brother you know on the ship headed over he fought in the battle of the bulge he's headed over on a ship for mainland japan and in the middle of the water they find out what happened and he said guys were crying they were celebrating so hard oh i can't imagine Can you, i mean because you know like you know going we're going, into that, we're you're going to go die yeah, yeah we're going like, to die let's let's get off this boat ride and go die right yeah now. exactly and now wow we have a life ahead of us we could go do these amazing things yeah after they've been their toes have hung over the brink yeah and that's where i just see it gives me chills still like those guys saw that yeah and then they came back and no wonder why the late 40s and 50s were kick ass yeah. in our country because <laughs> you had all these battle-hardened men that saw how bad it could be and are like hold on i get a second lease at this yeah like i get a second chance and to doing whatever we have to do in this country to make it amazing and let's go. It's a strange thing nowadays when you can look at those times and, you know, and tell people, yeah, of course we weren't perfect and we had things that we had to work past. But, you know, at the same time, those were the greatest times. And you tell somebody that and they're like, yeah, that's terrible of you to say that. Like, I, I can't imagine a more successful period in our country. Oh, no. Like overcoming such a massive thing where you don't know if you're going to come out the other side. Yeah. You don't. It, it, 100%. It, it, exactly. And that that's and if, and if people don't understand that, I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Of course. I would like to hear a very good reason why that would be an inaccurate statement. Yeah. Um, but if you can't see that, then you're not really looking at the real politics and really not only saying the politics just the real drivers of what makes a country great yeah and it was at a it was kind of at an all-time high in that point yeah. at least the mindset was and the drive and the growth and the we're gonna we're gonna take care of of, of the back of the back end of the house on this one mm-hmm. yeah and um i mean those those men and women did an amazing job they really did so, you know, with the company and all that you guys have done and accomplished and, you know, with Summer Strong and I got to see that for the first time last year and That's it was fun. really cool. It was, you know, you talk about posturing a lot in those, you know, in these gym communities. I mean, I've felt it and I've seen it. Of One of my biggest things that I had to get over when I was first lifting was not looking at the guy to the right and the left of me. Yeah. Just looking in the mirror. Yep. Realizing yep. like that reflecting pool was the most important thing to building myself. Of course. How and you can you... be excited about the guy to the yeah. right and the left. 
after you, but you can't. I mean, their their lift has nothing to do with yours. I know, and then uh, for a long time, I would get into my own head with that. You sure. know, I'd see a guy, you know, bench pressing two twenty five twelve times, and be yeah. like, "Gosh, it's never going to be me." Like, right. you know, and so, but what got me to the level where I was doing that, you mm-hmm. know, in sets, I was looking. I I stopped looking at that dude as like I and concentrated and focused on myself and day by day movement, yes. like getting to the next day. Yep. Uh, Michael Rodriguez says it all the time, but you know, Mike, I love Rod and, uh, you know, Rod says it every day. You're, you're only as good as today. What are you doing for me today? Mm -hmm. Like, I I know what you did in the past, but that has nothing like with the global war on terror Memorial foundation, what they're doing. Like he said, the guys that I pick on my team, like, I don't yeah. pick based on, on the past. I want to see what you. Yeah, yeah. you're and you're yeah. and you're an yeah. ambassador. Yeah, That's that what I was going to get to. Wild freaking. How much of an honor was that? Because oh. I saw you get that. Like I saw, Holy I was cow, there. Man. I was standing there. That was incredible. After, uh, after I believe Neil. it was Neil's speech. And, yeah, that's a pr- <laughs> pretty, <laughs> he tore the house down, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, that was a pretty uh, emotional hour too. I think, and didn't like right before that or right after it was like. Pat and cause. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> it's like watching Schindler's list, man. Like, are you, are you, I, are my you adrenals are just done. <laughs> are you up there sometimes? And you're like, wow, this is really happening right now. Yeah, yeah, every every like, year it is every year you look and, and you're just like, Oh my gosh. And, and you kind of expect it now. And John yeah. Wellborn made a good point. He's like, as he said, after he'd been to a number of summer strongs, John Wellborn, a power athlete. Yeah. And he was like, when we have a symposium, I just want to have a summer strong experience. He goes, I want that one thing that happens that gives you chills and brings a tear to your eye. And you're like that. And and Derek Woodski just went to this weird place, uh, the first symposium. And then, then John looked at me, he goes, that was it. We had our summer strong experience. And I was like, but so every year, like now it's happened so often, Uh you know, it's coming and I could kind of predict it. And of course we kind of like, put things in place to, to make it, to set them up, yeah. you know, but still like I get to go on the ride too. <laughs> like that's the, that's the most fun. I get to go on the ride. I could build the ride and I get to go on it with the people there. And then it's all, the ride's always better because there's always those little things that even I didn't see coming. I'm yeah. like, you know, we programmed, you know, this person to be here because we know he's probably going to do this, probably going to do that. And you kind of build it like a, like a player, build it like a, like a movie, you know, yeah. you're like, all right, we're going to bring people up. We're going to bring people down this one. And then, then someone just throws a, a hail Mary in there and you're like, Oh, this is why we do this. <laughs> like, you know, I knew Niels was going to blow people away. Yeah. I thought compared to what it was, I thought it was going to be about a five and mm. his was like a 28, you know, <laughs> like he just nuclear bombed the place, yeah. you know? And he, right before that, he's like, I'm going to go there. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, just wait. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And it mm. was, Holy crap. Yeah. I really I remember the smashing and the folding of the metal oh, and the anvil and the strikes and the sparks and all that. And like the crazy thing about this is for me, Bert, as a photographer, is like I have to tell myself to take the picture sometimes. Yeah, because you want to be so on the right moment. Like yeah. I'm capturing this moment in my head space. Yes. And I have to tell myself to click the shutter so that I capture it for my yeah. for the story, right? Sure. And so like being there and then taking those photos, it's like there were times where I caught myself like Push, push a shutter, push a push shutter, shutter, Tim. Breathe. Yeah, breathe. <laughs> You're dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're on the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, but between those strikes and like his speech about like mm-hmm. all the things that he'd gone through and his, you know, how he yeah. was raised and then, you know, the people he'd hurt and the people mm-hmm. who'd hurt him and that, you know, kind of like visceral pain, mm-hmm. but he's teaching it through the making of this yeah. life and it's like gosh what could be more perfect than this yeah and that's what people I, I think that goes kind of back to that blending of the veteran community with the civilian community you know neil didn't didn't serve 
Yeah. But some of the some of the veterans there, I know Brady and Ollie and a couple mm-hmm. of those guys, that hit them so hard. Oh, dude. And yeah. now they've become very good friends with Neil. Yeah. And Ollie's Ollie and Neil are super tight. Yeah. And it's just those guys that are like, wow, they were able to speak on that same frequency. Maybe not the same content, but the same frequency. They're resonating on that frequency. And if that was as expensive as it is to do Summer Strong and all that, like I look at it and go, if we were able to create that, all the speakers are awesome, but like, that one specifically, like it was, if that could happen and those certain people got a certain fed a certain way that might save a life or might change your trajectory of a life, mm-hmm. that was worth it. Yeah. It was worth the whole thing. Well, that event, I mean, you know, I got to meet Duncan Butler through that event. Duncan's too. awesome. <laughs> and like, so I got, you know, go, I got to go out to the, you know, the facility out there, sure. Zach's facility yeah. in Peachtree City and, mm-hmm. you know, see it. And they gave me a knife. It was so yeah. cool. And like, um, I'm in there signing the guitar and I'm like thinking to myself, like, these guys that I like get to experience this with, like this is a special thing that yeah. Sornex built. Like the fact Thank that you. you guys were able to put that together and like bring so many dine. Because man, I meet some cool people, but yeah. like being at that event, I was like, oh my gosh! Like you know, I'm, I'm like I'm freaking out on the yeah, inside. Yeah, it's my dream, you know? man. It, it's it's my dream that you know those are, that's my family. Yeah, I get I get to have the family I never had. Yeah, you, know? and you guys use that term, you know. I mean. Zach uses it with his band, you know, and that, you know, Zamily, you know, mm-hmm. and they, they talk yeah. about how important, you know, the everybody's a machine member, you know, yeah. that's so important. You guys have these themes, a way of addressing life. That, like, <laughs> it's exactly stuff that I grew, yeah. agree and grew up with. Yeah. But how, how do you take that into, you know, running a business? Because it, 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 it is tough, right? It's like, difficult because then you have to, you have to combine that almost artistic emotional feeling with actually getting job the job done (laughs) you know it's like mixing art and science kind of deal yeah you know uh it's that's that's been the hardest and that it's been a part of our a huge part of our success because most companies don't do that because it's hard you're walking that razor thin wire all the time between what makes sense and what feels good yeah and you know i'm not like a kind of feel good guy but i also know that it has to it has to move you emotionally if to create passion and Mm -hmm. passion is the secret ingredient so i'm not going to do anything just because it makes money yeah and so there's certainly things we could have done that would just made cash yeah and maybe that'd have been a smarter business move and i never said i was a good business person (laughs) (laughs) you know um and and so that that's kind of how we see it like it it, does it it's it does it feel right does it does it move the needle like does it make people better if it makes people better then the money will always come yeah if, if people find value in it there will be some financial remuneration Mm. but if you're always going after like how can we get the most profit off of this or how to and there's other companies in the space that they do that well they they work their supply chain they do all the the profits and this and that and the other and like that's great yeah that's great that's never been who we've pretended to be yeah that's not who we are thankfully we've been blessed doing it our way we've done it well and it's been successful not the most successful in the industry that's okay yeah. You know, I haven't missed meals in a while and <laughs> and I know there's a group of people that are very loyal to our company and a lot of those people don't even own our equipment. Oh yeah. And because we're able to give them something from a, you know, physical, spiritual, emotional, all those things mentally like if we're able to invest in them that way, then, you know, people will buy our equipment. That'd be cool. Well, I think you make some great points too about the about how that that all works together in succession because I you know I see so much of that when I immediately came in 
through the door. You know, yeah. I was like seeing everybody, you know, everybody's working hard, but there's sure. a real spirit of freedom in the building yeah. where you don't feel like everybody's tied down to this one idea. Like everybody's yeah. going to have different ideas and it's very much an open forum. At the end of the day, you got to get things done. But the, yeah. the spirit of adaptation is huge in this building in mm. that you're always constantly thinking about the next innovation. Like what problem are we going to address and how are we going to move past that? Yes. And how are we going to address the situation? So like for me, one thing that I see, you know, in, in a lot of weightlifting industry and like with these companies that are building these pieces of equipment, it's like a 10 year shift, you know, it's like, right. all right, Hey, we got to address this. All right. Yeah. yeah. yeah 10 years ago. But the, the problem was five years ago and you're just now addressing it, but yeah. you guys are addressing it on the fly. It's the only company I've really seen do well, that in a very fast rate where you're with it. And Thanks. you know, some other folks at other, com- I don't care if you, they get mad. Uh, but you know, like yeah. what you guys yeah. do in that space is so amazing. Thank like, you. Yeah, and hitting that. How do you how do you stay on top? You got to care about it. You got to I mean you got to care. You can't yeah. you can't look at it always of what's the next trending thing. What needs to happen? Yeah. You, I mean that's you hate to say like trendsetter. Like okay, we we've, we've set most of the not most but a lot of the trends in the fitness community we've set in the last 10, 15 years. Right. But is that an active feedback loop where you're hearing from? Yeah, guys but that- a lot of times it's just sitting back and 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 figuring out what needs to occur regardless of what the industry says <laughs> i hate to right, say it yeah. that way it's like you know creating the the landmine or creating the rig system as we know it like those weren't things that the industry said they needed mm. those were things that we sat down and we, we saw an issue a problem we we're like what 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 doesn't smell right about this what does what should be better about this right and then literally it was building out these are the pros these are the cons of every rack system on the planet basically and then we designed the, the the rig. I mean, you see rigs in every gym ever. Yeah. Well, I designed the first one on a napkin at a bar. <laughs> like, it That's wasn't. It, cool. it, it was just like, hold on a second. People are building these, welding together these big, stupid, customized rigs that only work for, you know, this big pull-up rigs. That was a big thing in CrossFit. I was like, oh, these pull-up. I need pull-up rigs. And back, got to go back to 2006, 2007. And they were building these crazy crappy welded together pieces of crap to just do pull-ups everywhere mm. and so i was like okay well if if your crossfit or your gym is doing well you're going to grow so you're going to move your stuff around or you're going to go to a new space well now you have this 30 foot long thing that's built and you can't you got to cut it apart and like that's yeah. dumb that's very short-sighted yeah so i said well we got to be able to make it modular and i said well if you're going to have you know if you're going to have uprights well why why would you put uprights eight feet apart put them four feet apart put holes in all four sides of them and turn them into the squat stands mm. you know and it was just like well, why don't we just do it? And then we just kind of, well, if we, you know, if you got holes in all four directions, you could have all these handles and all these different things. And you basically create like, it's right around the time the iPhone came out. So basically you create the iPhone of racks because then everything wow. is just an app that goes onto the rack. And then it's the first rack that's customizable by the customer versus have to buy a custom piece. So that changed the game. It, it made it for just what a kind of an iPhone or smartphone did. It's like, you could customize your experience. Strangely enough, it kind of came quickly. It's like, well, why isn't anyone doing that? Yeah. And then it was to sit down and figure out how to make it work. So had we just listened to what the industry was saying, we would have kept, we, you know, it's a little bit, and I don't like put ourselves in like the Henry Ford, but like Henry Ford said, you know, if I would have done what the customers have asked for, they, I would have made faster horses. <laughs> you know? 
it's true. And, yeah. and what, what what the community was asking for at that time was cheaper squat stands. Mm. Everyone says your your squat stands are too expensive. Can you make cheaper ones? You got to make cheaper ones. You got to make cheaper ones. It's like that's not our company. That's not our company. It's not what we do. We don't we don't race to the bottom. We create innovative solutions that change the game. And so I said, no, that's not what we do. I'm not dealing with the best athletes in the world making the best gear in the world. And then you want me just to make a cheap version because you don't want to pay for it. Like, right. sorry, that's not what we do. Yeah. And then it was like, hold on a second. If, if there is something that could be better now, we're about that. And yeah. then it was to sit down, retool everything. And then, you know, we, we created the rig and that, you know, I would arguably say that was probably the, one of the biggest, you know, inventions in strength conditioning in the last probably in our generation. Yeah. You know, yeah. just it's, it changed how every gym is done, you yeah. know, with storage integrated into thing. I mean, that, that just opened the whole, that whole world. Cause I mean, I, and, and most, maybe a lot of people that are just maybe listening to this, if they were, weren't training prior to 2010, like, you know, they don't understand. They used to be squat racks, benches, you know, dumbbell racks, another place like, mm -hmm. you know, pull up bars were on your squat rack only, or, you know, they, these were, these were things that didn't exist having a rig system or a, or a multi, you know, all the holes and all four sides of the, the racks. Those were things that like people thought was crazy. <laughs> they go, this is stupid. This is, you're just going to be weak. This is this and that and the other. And I said, especially that was when the war was kicking pretty hard. I was like, well, you ever seen a Picatinny rail? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, I mean, some people of course said no, have not. Yeah. And I said, well, that was the difference. That's where I saw it. I was like, hold on a second. These guns, instead of having, well, I have to get a base that works for a savage model, so and so, or this, you know, and you're like, I have to get a certain height. This you go, Picatinny rail is a universal mounting system, and that same thing could be done. That was kind of like as we were coming up with a rig, it was like, hold on, this technology and the idea is already out there, and right now, working in the world of war, and it's working great, yeah. we're on to something, yeah. and so didn't get it from the Picatinny, but that was one of those like light bulb moments. Like, Oh, we're certainly on the right track because this is going to, you know, and, and as you well see, I mean, and every gun thing will click onto a rail at this point. Yeah. You know, and that absolutely. just opened up an entire industry. Yeah. So that's kind of some of the stuff we've always looked at, like, look at what the problem is. Don't necessarily always look at what the trends are because I think, I think if you watch the trends, you're already late. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. Cause a lot of times when I see you guys come out with something, I'm like, I didn't even think about that problem, but I guess it is a problem. And then like you see the addressing yeah. of that and you're like, wow, that makes it easier. And that's yeah. what it is, right? That yeah. snap on moment where yeah. in the head where you're like, oh my gosh, like I didn't, I don't think of that as a problem. And then when right. I see it, I realize it was a problem. Well, put, hooking a flashlight to your rifle wasn't a problem <laughs> 20 years ago. Yeah. Guys taped them to them or did whatever they were doing until you're like, oh, you have a little rail thing. You click it on there. That's killer. Yeah. Now that solves a lot yeah. of stuff. You know, what do they do in Vietnam? Yeah. Right. They yeah. didn't fight at night, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know or they had night vision or starlight and that was it. Like yeah. they weren't, you know, and so you look at it, you're like, well, you could change the game, but you have to look at what the problem is, mm -hmm. not look at what the industry thinks it is. Yeah. If you're truly going to be innovative, if well. you're like people say, oh, it's cutting edge solutions. Well, if you're cutting edge, you are the data. Yeah. You're not waiting till the data comes out and then going, Oh, now we'll do this. Well, you ain't cutting edge anymore. Mm, wow. You're, you're literally just following the trend and, and that's never really been interesting. Yeah. You know, that the part of, you know, we always look at how do you make it safer? How do you make it more convenient? How do you make it smaller? How do you make it? Maybe, maybe it needs to be bigger, maybe, but 
looking at the principles of what we're trying to solve versus this is what everyone's asking for. If they're already asking for it, that means someone's already done it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no longer interesting. Yeah. Um, I know that your time is short, but I wanted to ask one more question if I might. Um, you know, we, we talk about Michael Rodriguez a little bit, a little earlier and him making you an ambassador for wow. his foundation. Uh, how how important, you know, and, and for those of you that don't know out there, the Global War on Terrorism Memorial Foundation is uh, is it such a huge thing. I mean, it's, it's enormous. It's, well, it's, you know, I mean, most of the people probably listen to this were part of the global war on terror. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This was the first multi-generational war mm-hmm. in American history. Yeah. What does that mean to you to to be a part of? something so massive i mean this is innovation you know this is something you want to talk about legacy you know yeah. like oh it's it's certainly brought a tear to my eye and and just to think that maybe something i could you know i didn't serve um over in the theater war mm-hmm. and to think that maybe some of my success or influence or or notoriety I hate even using that word but <laughs> um you know contacts or influence or whatever it may be could could be used for good to help honor and um and remember those men and women that fought over there in the global war while i was you know chasing business and chasing you know my my athletic career to be able to give back you know after the fact and and try to help that become a come to fruition it's it's enormous and and i don't want to you know, and, and some people say, they go, well, you know, you're, you know, our community. I was like, no, that's your community. And they're like, no, no, you're in our community. I was like, well, hold on. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But let's be very clear. Like I did not serve. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you want to include me in, you know, I get a spot at the table, fine. But I want to make sure it's a sacred right for the men and women that, that made that pledge that, that we don't get that twisted. You know, I'm not in that club. They are. Yeah. You know? And so to be able to do something for the Global War and Terror Memorial, it, it's it's huge, and I and I can't wait till it gets done, and and just to be able to honor all those men and women that have fought for our, for our freedom, and you know, and it just breaks my heart when you see these these memorials and and statues all over oh, the country yeah. being torn down when we're trying to build one to to bring people together. But you know, that's a whole different conversation yeah. but, um, <laughs> yeah. so it, it means a lot to me and I, and I was extremely honored that mike asked me to be on the team and i still ask him i don't know why he chose me and he yeah. said and he said well that's why i chose you because you wouldn't have asked to do it. <laughs> <laughs> a so, lot of guys would have asked <laughs> yeah yeah so, probably did <laughs> yeah so i um, i just want to be helpful if yeah, I could be valuable. Yeah. That'd, be, that'd be great. Well, I was doing the project on him. He he spoke of how highly he thought of you like many times. And uh, I know for him, like having that relationship is very important to him. But like, he, you know, he's he's truly looking for people that are humble about their success and people that are, you know, good friends, but not just good friends that are good for the space and live in that mentality of what am I doing today? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's huge with him. And that's what this company is all about. So thank you. That's huge. If I could live up to that, that sounds like a good deal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bert, I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. It's been a real, it's a cool experience. It's good. It's important to have these conversations with civilians because what I found is without these conversations, you're not truly building the bridge because we speak of ourselves as a bridge building movement. So if we're just talking to veterans, we're not really building the bridge. Preaching to the choir. And and I've, I've often said, I think I might even said today, I think until you transcend into a different, 
until you can bring your skill set and transcend it into a different industry or a different group of people, you haven't truly been successful. Yeah. And that's where I think when when people transcend and groups and businesses transcend, that's where you start seeing the major growth and the impact. And I think what you guys are doing, you're, you're building that portal for trans, for being transcended. Thank you, man. Thank you. That means a lot, especially coming from the be legendary guy. <laughs> <laughs> that beard is legendary. I keep oh, staring gosh. at it every two <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I barely could take pictures. <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, all right, Bert. Thanks for coming on. For Appreciate those of you it. out there listening, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. And most of all, don't forget our legacies are the mission. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim Kay. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project. Facebook, The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, our legacies are the mission.